Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Book Club. First rule of Book Club is you must always talk about Book Club. Second rule of Book Club is tell everyone about Book Club. Welcome back again. Here we are, Mike Price, Johnny Graham from Inwood Revenue Consulting, and we are talking about the second half of Go Givers Sell More. We are. Have you been go giving this week, Mike? Do you know, I know it's a very convenient thing for me to say, but this is quite me anyway. Is it? Yeah. Yeah? It's interesting. You know, it's quite me, actually. How so? Um, in as much as, you know, uh, as much as being a hard-faced, brutal bastard of a recruiter, I'm actually a bit of a hippie, really. And I think you've sort of got to be nice in the, in the, in the world, and the world will be nice back to you. And actually, I've just summarised the book, haven't I? We don't need to read it anymore. <laughs> that's sort of what the book says, isn't it? I had a very interesting conversation with a construction guy in the lift this morning. Um, I mean, this is this is going to get deep, right? But uh, he said to me, he said, you seem really jolly today. And I said, look, mate, we're going to be a long time dead. Might as well enjoy it whilst we're here. And uh, he said, no, no, we're not going to die. Your, your, your energy is going to get dissipated back into the universe and come back in whichever direction it comes back. That's a deep thing for him to say. And, you know, like, it came out of this guy. I mean, he looked like a proper rough and ready construction guy. Hard hat, yellow vest. But I get his point. And and where that's taking me is the segue about, in reality, I think a lot of the point of go-giving is if you create good karma with genuine, sincere sincere intent, at some point it does find its way back. And it sort of does. It's interesting. I called a guy yesterday who I've known for years because somebody, having watched Book Club, actually, uh, a lady reached out saying, listen, I'm recruiting, uh, whatever it was. It wasn't us. Can you help me? And I said, well, I can't actually, but I've copied this person in on the mail. <clears throat> and I copied this guy in on the mail. And I said, this guy probably can help you. And, I, and actually, he then phoned me about half an hour later, having seen it. He said, listen, Mike, thanks for the intro. I appreciate it. He said, do you want to find us for anything? I said, no, I'm not bothered. It's fine. You know. Yeah. Uh, but actually, you know who that man is. Every time he goes and works somewhere, he phones you up and we place people with him. Yeah. So it just sort of goes around, comes around, doesn't it? And we live, Jonathan, this is the last thing I'm going to say, then we're going to get into this hard-ass into the book. book, is we live in a very cynical sort of world in recruitment, don't we? Extremely Don't, don't tell anyone our clients. Don't tell anyone, you know, because actually you're always bothered about getting ripped off. And of course, we have to guard against that. We have to guard against people's identity, not just from that GDPR stance, but generally in nature. And this is sort of the opposite of that. I sound a bit hoarse today. I know, dear. I've got a bit of a sore throat. No. Ah, good. <laughs> I'm happy with that. That was a right. good joke. Cool, so, we're, so we're at... Well, well, the book's broken into five parts, each of which then have subparts. So we are on part number three, The Law of Influence, and, and we're now going to talk Bob about... And says, your influence <clears throat> is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. Thanks, Bob. Yeah, Bob's coming on the show. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. We've got lots to talk about. So... The, so, so this is, the point is, this is section three, and we're now talking about the subsections that exist within section three. Yeah, and he's talking about chapter 13 is building networks. I mean, it's the same message, isn't it? Uh, which is, uh, be good to your network and your network will give back. Yeah, now I, I made a, a note here when I was reading this at the weekend. He says, the impact you have on people you have not yet met, people whose lives you touch, at least in some measure, before you ever lay eyes on them or have a conversation with them. Um, and he talks about your influence in your network. I think that this has really changed probably in the last couple of years in as much as I don't think people are networking how they used to. Go on. Well, I think people think networking now is connecting to each other on LinkedIn. There's a lot of very lazy networkers. Yes. You know, they just connect and then they send an email but they don't connect and then try and offer something to that network. That's what book clubs about, isn't it? Let's, let's be clear. It's an advertisement for inward revenue. It is. But actually you can just I, watch book club and we're not going to phone you and say, Oh, you watch book club. Where's your, where, where's your, where's where your you business briefs? bastard. Yeah. yeah. Say, yeah watch it if you want. Yeah. And in many respects, you know, one of the things if you, in social media, a large part of what people say about creating good content is you've got to give, 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 mm, mm, mm. and you've got to deliver value and bring value to the, to the network. But, I don't, I, I just, I wrote here, define influence. He says, we often think of influence as the ability to get other people to do what we want them to. 
But genuine influence accrues to those who become known as the sort of person who is committed to helping other people get what they want. And I, I like the use of the word accrue there, because I always was taught, you know, if you read Stephen Covey, he talks about it as a, like a bank account, doesn't he? Yes, I've read Stephen Covey, I like it. We should yeah. get him on the show. I don't think he's any... I don't think he's Is he dead now? Yeah, I'm pretty, pretty confident he's no longer of this... Uh, All right, fair enough. ...of this realm. Um, but the, it's that accrual concept. It's an, almost an accounting concept, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. But he talks about... Get some goodness in the bank and your other goodness will get paid back. Yeah, deposits and withdrawals in the emotional bank uh, he account. He tried to wreck the joints. Oh, I'm ripping it up here with the, with the pop filter. But if I say pop it, with the pop filter in front of my mouth, nobody should hear the... Should they? <laughs> no so, um, anyway, next, next, and then he talks about reputation. He says genuine influence grows from reputation. Your single most important task when you set out in your sales career is the task of building reputation. What do you think to that? I reckon there's some other single most important tasks for me. I tell you what I think about it's what I think about the whole book, which none of it's wrong, it's all correct, none of it is directional. It needs a little bit more. No, it doesn't need any more direction. It's not written as that kind of book. No. It's not written as a book that really, you know, that is then built into a model. What I think of it, yeah, you're right, but there's no specificity around it. What's the point? There's no specificity in the book. Yeah. At all. So he's, he's talking really, in terms of influence, he's talking for the example he gives here. The law of influence turns this mode on its head. Uh, approaching each business relationship with the question, what have I done for you lately? So what he's saying is the more you can do for others and really support others in your business interactions, the more it comes back and the more that should be your mindset. And, and, and I do get that. that's the tenor that. of the whole book, though. It is, yes. And in many respects... That's that, the whole book. Uh, and in many respects, that I, I get that. You know, a few weeks ago, I rang a candidate I'd heard that there was a deal going down in a certain organisation. He was in, a, in that organisation. The information, had I given it to him, would have been all right. And I rang him and I gave him the information. He said, funnily enough, I'm already into it, mate. Well, what's interesting is I know you sent an email to BAE, who's one of our clients, financial crime software vendor, because you had tried to log, uh, create a tied business account. Is that right? Yeah. And you just sent Roy the lead saying, listen, I don't know if it's a lead, but... I don't know if it's... I don't, yeah, I don't know if it's of any use to you, but... It's taken them a week to do my AML check. Now, is that why BAE are a client? No. I just thought that but is a... that going to help BAE? Probably. And, and I think you... that's what Bob's getting yeah, at. Yeah, and is. he's saying you just give it without... Without you know... thinking. I won't ask him for anything. No, no, you're already you a think... client. I'm not going to exactly. get anything out of it. Exactly. I have it quite often with candidates, particularly at a senior management level, where for whatever reason there's somebody out there that doesn't want to deal with me, that I know that they're recruiting a sales leader and I know one of my candidates or somebody I know can do it. I'll phone them and say, listen, I reckon you can do that. You should apply to it. Yeah. Now, obviously, if they get there, then quite often they phone up and say, listen, Mike, I'm recruiting. But that's not why I do it. And that's sort of what he's talking about yeah, here, it isn't is. it? Add value to your network. And I get his point. Personally, I think there are different types of influence. And he's talking about influence in that respect. And do you know what? It is very influential. It anyway, does influence Come people, on, let's go to chapter 15. Yeah. So Chapter 14, I, fuzzy influence. I just missed that one out. I didn't write any notes. Chapter 15, <laughs> the perfect pitch. <laughs> it right. starts with the part of selling that mo that most aspir aspiring salespeople have the hardest time with is prospecting. Can I go back to chapter 14? Oh, God. He says, uh, I took that he, gives, he gives an example about how this guy becomes friends with his competitors. What do you think of that? You know me, Johnny, I don't care either way. But, and you know I'm combative. I don't care. I, I think I think Miller Hyman has got it right. What's that? Focus on your strengths, not other people's weaknesses. Agreed. Just focus on your strengths. Who cares what everybody else does? So Bob's saying that we've got to become friends with your competitors because, you know, at some point we might be able to do something. I, I, I don't agree with that. And I'm going to talk to Bob about that when he comes on the show. Personally, I'm in it to crush my competition. I want to see them lose. I couldn't care less. I, I'm like Bob. I want to see my clients win. I want us to win. I want our clients to win. I particularly want me to win. I like winning. <laughs> and do you know what? Part of winning is I like to vanquish my competition. I couldn't care less. Okay. So, you know, Bob's point about making friends with your com competitors. I, I wouldn't be friends with them or not because they're my competitors. I'd be friends with them if I was friends with them. Yes, if I found them to add value to my life, which is completely well, if antithetic. They were, if they were into what I was into, you know, if they were into, you know, drinking 10 pints of Stella on a Friday yes. night, then I'm going to be friends with them. If they add value to your life. 
Yes. And then there's the whole other conversation about friendships, which is, um, you know, lots of people say you're the sum total of your three best friends, aren't you, or whatever. Um, I've never heard that, actually. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot, a, a lot of people, a lot of thinkers in the world will say, if you really want to be successful, it's all about your peer group. Who do you hang around with? Are they top boys? Are they not? Um, so do I really want to hang around some mediocre guy from one of my competitors who I don't really deem of the same intellectual level as me? The answer is no. <laughs> Good, okay. <laughs> so the perfect pitch. The part of selling that, that most aspiring salespeople have the hardest time with is prospecting. That's probably one of the best things he's put in the book. Yes. Um, but then he goes on in chapter 15 on page 91. He said, now we're ready for the one word secret to making the perfect sales pitch. Don't. I didn't like that. I thought that was a controversial thing to put. Didn't like that. Uh, but I do have to say, what he's talking about here is real networking. And do you know what? The most successful guy I know, and you know who I'm talking about, I mm, won't mention thank his name, you. <laughs> who is the wealthiest guy I know, is an outstanding, outstanding networker. I mean, ridiculous. Always at the, this dinner, that dinner. And actually, we talked about another guy who we were talking about houses this morning, and you said we were talking about if there was a house in Leeds you could have, and I said it's so and so's house. Yes, he is an unbelievable networker. Well, I've got a mate of mine that's uh, that's a very I don't really know what he does, but very big in VCs. He is always at dinners. Yeah, and I've got another mate of mine who you know, the ex-pro sportsman. Yeah, he's employed because he's good at that kind of thing. But these are guys actually who are professional drinkers. Oh yeah. Crikey, you get the two of those two together, it's dangerous. Yeah, they're professional. You know, the guy you're talking about, the ex-rugby player, he's a pro drinker. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, the and other my one mate's is... a pro drinker. Both of the guys I'm talking about, are, in many respects, they're pro drinkers. But anyway, on this one, we're talking about... But the about... point being is he's saying he's talking about great creating your pitch and he talks about going to talks and meeting people and networking and, uh, and about how the big kahuna came to talk to him because he knew this guy and that guy. Um, I get it. So next chapter or, or subsection whatever part 16 he talks about great questions and he's talking about understanding people and getting people talking basically isn't he yeah he is we could have gone a bit deeper couldn't we but that's the book isn't it you know we've got to skip through these because i don't know how many chapters there are i've read them all 30 odd i would think yeah it's just little snippets of information that's one of my criticisms of the book actually I like to go really deep on something so that something sticks in. Yes. Whereas this doesn't go deep on anything. It skips over most things. It does, but the point, again, you know, we talk about a lot of the books we read, but as a young salesperson... Oh, they're great points. If we had a 26-year-old a guy join us tomorrow, still learning his trade, I'd say, that's a good book for you to read. I agree completely. I'd say it's really good. Because it's full of very genuine advice. You know, his point about, what what did he say in the previous chapter? Um, Anyone within three feet is worth getting to know better. I get that. You never know. You know, yes. I, I, I'll tell you a story, and he's right about this. The other week I rang a fellow and it was a wrong number. Right. Totally wrong number. I mean, we're talking random shit here. Right? And I says to the fellow, all oh, right, okay. Looks like I've got the wrong number. He says, yeah, it looks like you do. Unless, obviously, you're a software salesperson looking for a job. Right. Went, well, actually, I am a software salesperson. Purely by pure chance. And I got talking to him, and the guy's in my callbacks now. And the guy was within three feet, metaphorically. Yeah, and he was I mean, I mean you, you've, been, you've been lucky there, really. I mean, that's pure chance. But what Bob's saying You could have phoned is, a window cleaner, couldn't you? I could have phoned anybody. Mm. But what Bob's saying is, and he's right, is... The little, the little bit of humour and the cheeky smile. Unless you're a software salesperson, obviously, then you're worth knowing. And he laughed and went, well, actually, I am. Yeah, I mean, he's got a fair point. You can't, like I say, you can't disagree with any part of the book. Uh, next section is on follow-through. So we're on questions, though, weren't we? So what, what have we, we got are, I'll tell you why I rushed through it, Johnny, because we've got an hour to discuss this book. You, 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 you know, and, and actually, there's lots of different sections. So, I mean, these questions, what are they? They're okay questions. He's sort of talking about basically building up a picture of the person you set opposite, isn't he? Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, I made two notes here about there's no hidden tricky, t tricky turn that gets people talking about you and your business. No trap doors, no hinged panels, no smoke and mirrors. This is not a sneaky technique. It's actually just what it looks like. Authentic conversation. Um, 
and he talks about this story about how a CEO had just met the man's daughter and Beth had graduated from college and uh, they, he'd asked the question, how can I know if someone I'm speaking with would be a good connection for Beth if she starts her career? And how a few weeks later it all ended up to everybody's advantage. That's great and I'm buying it. Um, and do you know what? I always say it with pretty much every book we've done on the show thus far. I am going to think a lot more about referrals and adding value and asking who else I can help. And in that respect, the book's done me a bit of good. Yeah, I mean, I think it's something that a lot of people do anyway. Has, isn't it? That hasn't changed my questioning technique, though. No, it's not going to, is it? No. What it did make me think is maybe I need to write a book on listening and questioning technique. Possibly, yeah. I mean, but there's better books than that already out there, isn't there, on, on listening and question techniques? I'm not sure there is. Do you not think? No, don't think anybody's really specifically written a book on listening and questioning for salespeople. So, so I don't think spin was a questioning technique? But it's not about listening and questioning and listening. Oh, absolutely 100% is. It's about asking a question, listening to and reflecting yeah, yeah, on yeah. and digging deeper. It's the ultimate questioning book. There's not been one since. Uh, I don't know, I can't think of any others actually, but... Well, sitting on Amazon looking at sales books, looking for books well, to I, co well, co well, cover well, on the show. Well, well, I don't ever do that actually, in fairness. And what do you think to following through? You know what I've got to say? He's all right. That is a childish <laughs> snigger to the phrase, follow through. Follow through, yeah. I can remember being at school. I went to a very religious <laughs> Church of England school. Very strict. You used to have to wear shorts and sandals all year round and wear a tie. Uh, and uh, one of the songs at Where Harvest Festival... Going? One of the songs at Harvest Festival had the word breast in it. <laughs> something about the mother's breast or something. You've never seen a bunch of six-year-old laugh so much so when i cease to fly, follow through in a book i think that's funny. yeah yeah i i uh, i have a similarly childish sense of humor but yeah the uh, did, did it not make you think about golf uh i didn't i can't know i was laughing the whole time i read the chapter so he already. says he says uh people sometimes teach sales by comparing it to fishing thus you catch them with a hook and sometimes you have to lay out a lot of lines and wait patiently before you can reel in a big one this is also why salespeople often talk about landing a client, which I do, I get the metaphor. Nothing against fishing, but we think the sales process is a lot more like farming. You prepare the soil, you plant seeds, you water, weed, nurture and cultivate. In other words, follow through. Not every seed takes root. It may be only one seed in 10 or one in 20. And that's true. It's pretty obvious. Well, I mean, there is a load of rubbish in this chapter. He goes on about Gary Vaynerchuk, the founder of Wine Library TV, Baba, And he goes, Gary is the master of the law of influence. He receives hundreds of emails every day and he takes time to answer each and every one of them personally. What a load of rubbish. <laughs> Absolute garbage. Do you are, right, I know you're going to just defend Gary Vaynerchuk because you love him. I'm a big Gary V fan. But, but you know does, I'm a massive Gary, Gary Vaynerchuk personally answer every email he gets well at the point of writing of this book what when he got one a day when he was still right when he was still running wine library tv which was in reality the first really big let's get Vaynerchuk on there's no way gary v would lower himself to hang around with you or i oh right because he's scared of the claim that bob well, Berg's made too, about him he's too big time now anyway yeah follow through yeah it's fine isn't it follow through <laughs> yeah he's right he's so right his point is follow up he's, yeah he's right follow absolutely up. And I think what he's, you know, he's not gone into the technical point of you meet a guy at a, at a show, you have a good conversation with him, but he's not got anything in there. See it through, keep in touch, follow it through, sow the seeds, water the seeds, water the soil. He's right. He is right. But we live in a world where... And it's very easy when you're pipeline building and you've got a quarterly... My issue is... I think people don't follow through like they used to with salespeople because that's how I was taught to sell. But now if you're in a quarterly driven environment, have you really got time to nurture some guy that you know might not buy for three years? Well, that's the point. The other conflict is, is, <clears throat> excuse me, is, is the other side of this is a sales manager is going to go, what about qualifying, Mike? Oh, good for you spending time with someone that might buy something in five years. What's the point? Find someone that's going to buy something now. Correct. I think a lot of sales leaders would say, that guy got any money? No. Correct. What on earth are you doing sending him emails and, and, and thinking about him for? That That's one of the problems actually with this as a concept is, imagine if, you know, you're interviewing me and you say, Mike, what sales methodology do you use? And I go, go give a sell more, Jonathan. I'd be I'm unsuccessful. 
Let me just go through that again. So you're saying... So you're the interviewer. So, so I'm operating on behalf of a client. Go on. Client asks me to do some interviews on his behalf. Candidate walks in and I say... It's me, it's me. Yeah, candidate walks in and I, and I say, what, what methodology do you employ normally? And he says... Well, well have you read I, I, Go I, Givers Sell More? That's, and he says, that's my, what I live my by. focus is Go Giving. I live by Go Givers Sell More. And you, so, so your next question is, how does that work, Mike? And what I say is, well, you know, I don't have a pitch. I don't close anybody. Uh, <laughs> this is starting badly, but it gets better. Because actually, I know that if I'm really nice to everybody, then at some point somebody will give me some business. I'm going to reframe that. Go on. So he says to me, listen, I'm an incredibly, incredibly active guy. I touch hundreds of people every week. And I'm always thinking about how I can add value to those people. And then actually, out of probably those hundreds of interactions I have every week, I probably get to add value to 30 or 40 more of those out of every week. Some of those go into my pipeline as probable clients. And some of them, they just find their way into my pipeline over a period of time. And what I find is because I'm so highly active and because I'm out there giving and adding value to so many people, stuff just drops in my lap. That sounds, makes me successful. That sounds great. How do you qualify the prospects that are in your pipeline? Well, I qualify them hard. Once they're in my pipeline, I make sure I ask the hard questions about where the money is. Not using this, you don't. No, because it's not alluding to that. No, you don't. I don't want to sound too negative about it, but that's, no. the, that's the reality. But I wouldn't be that unnerved book, if a candidate said to me, I'm high activity, I deliver value to everybody I operate with. And because I deliver value, I just generate activity for myself into my pipeline. But that's not what this says. You're put, and let's, I'm not down am I, on this am book. Am I putting words in Bob's I, mouth? I'm, I'm not down on this book. I think this book should, you know, some, should somebody buy it and read it? Yep. Should you live by the principles in it? Yep. But I'll tell you now, if you live by just these principles, you are going to lose. Tell you how I look at it, right? We're not. If you look at a copper, right? I was getting, just, I've just bought a coffee from La Bottega Milanese. There's a quote, a little plug for you if you're out there. One of my favourite coffees in Leeds. Um, and as I was in there, two very heavily tooled up coppers walked into the shop. They saw you in your candidate, didn't they? They thought they, <laughs> they thought, the, look at these two tasty characters, <laughs> right? So these two really tooled up coppers. You know, they've got guns. The lot. They're patrolling the city centre. And they've got all sorts of different tools, haven't they? They've got, I don't really they've know, got pepper spray, they've got tasers, they've got shooters, well, yeah, yeah, they've got truncheons. This is... Do you know what this is? This is kindness and, and kind effort and thought, isn't it? On my Whereas weapon, I want a gun. You want a big gun. A gun. Yeah. Give me my gun so I can shoot some prospects and win. Whereas but I what sort of Bob's don't saying what... is, well, actually, maybe you just need the handcuffs. Bob's not even saying that. Bob's saying, but this is like, Bob, we're, we're providing the summary of Bob's book here. We're getting off track a little bit. <laughs> Tell you what Bob's book is. Bob's book is like a Montessori school. My nephew's Montessori educator and they're both excruciatingly successful. There you go. It worked then, didn't it? Yeah. There you go then. I thought they went to Leeds Grammar School. That's not a Montessori they're school. Montessori educator until the age of 11. Right, Leeds Grammar School has done, has done a bit of good for him as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, come on. Um, okay, so then he talks about your serve. Yeah, and um, he, t he talks about it not being a game of baseball where you smash it out of the park, it's a game of tennis where you, where you both interact. Do you know what I do like here? He talks about features and benefits, and he talks about the basics of a feature is about your MacGuffin, a benefit is about the other person. Oh, he's clearly a good salesman. Yeah, I really respect that. Mm -hmm, absolutely. What, uh, you know, your serve is your brief answer to the question, what do you do? Which is a plug for this month's Pint with JG, um, which is a treatise on how to answer the question, tell me about you in an interview. Fair enough. The next one then, we're talking about posture. And he says, being broke and being rich are both decisions. You make them up right here. Um, <clears throat> I've always, I think this is a brilliant chapter, best chapter in the book, actually. Go on, why? Because I've always thought that you can sense needy. Absolutely. I think buyers can, interviewers can, interviewees can, um, people can in life. Uh, have you read 12 Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson? No. Nope. Great book. Um, it's very popular at the moment, the whole Jordan Peterson movement. I'm a Jordan Peterson fan, which is probably going to alienate half our audience because some people think he's... Wasn't he the man that got banned from Cambridge or Oxford or something? Yeah. Because he wouldn't agree. In, he uh, had his honorary professorship at Oxford. Yeah, because he, he wouldn't recognise non-gender... Yeah. 
That's yeah, the guy, so, yeah. So it can be a bit controversial, Jordan Peterson, but one of the chapters in his book, 12 Rules for Life, is called Walk Like a Lobster. Right. And what he talks about is how um, the world of lobsters works on the bottom of the seashore. And that the lobsters that survive basically stand tall. Okay. So he says, you stand tall. And he says, best advice you give your children, stand tall like a powerful lobster. Right. And he said, because the weak lobsters don't stand tall, they stand small. And I think what Bob's getting at here is he's saying, walk <coughs> like a lobster. Because mm. otherwise well, I've always said to you, you know, we, we occasionally have hired people who have gradually shrunk. Yeah. They've, They've become... gradually shrunk. That's working for you though, Pricey, you know. Possibly. No, but it's true. I, I remember uh, Steve Griffith, if you're listening, I remember there was one fellow that worked for us many, 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 many years ago. I remember you saying to me in the back room, look at him, Johnny, he just looks like a little man now. And the geezer was six foot four. <laughs> and he said he looks small and I'm you know I'm five seven and I remember Steve said he looks smaller than you now he's shorter than you now Johnny mad isn't it but his posture had gone he'd allowed it to, to chip away from him he looked like a little man next the competition okay so tell me about this chapter Pricey I'm just rereading my notes uh, so what he's basically saying is you can't slam your competition yeah I, mean, I agree with him on that actually here we are. If in a conversation you tow down your competition, it actually diminishes you in the other person's eyes. Now, we've read that quite a few times, actually. And, and as we were saying earlier, I do agree. I think you've got to um, focus on your own strengths. I agree. I've I got to tell you, when I'm pitching to a client as to whether they should, should use inward revenue, I don't even bother asking who we're competing against. I don't. What's the point? Well, I don't acknowledge that we have any. I just don't, just don't see the point. And, you and, know, and my when I talk to them, I say to them, what else have you got on the go? And I think they go, oh, I can't tell you uh, in case you do something. I, I'm sort of asking out of politeness, really. The truth is I don't care what else you've got on the go. Either my, my client's right for you or it's not. Yeah, I've, I've either, under, well, my view is I've either understood your needs well enough yeah. that I've got the right job for you. And if I haven't, bad luck on me. Yeah, I just don't care. I think the candidates are worried that they're going to tell us they've got BMC on the go and then... You're We're going to canvas the MD of BMC. It's just not how it works in this game, in my game anyway. All right, but what about how our candidates live and about their competition? I think they're wrong as well. I'll tell you the difference, actually. I think that it depends where they are selling on the value chain. So I think if, it, if you were selling a very low-end software product, if you were selling, uh, or if you were selling a car, if you were selling a BMW versus a Mercedes, I think you'd probably... If you work for BMW, think about your competition being Mercedes. Or if you worked for BMW and, you know, your your client is out to Audi, you'd say, oh, Audi, the ones with the emission scandals. I think there'd be a bit of that going on, wouldn't there? But I think because right. we work in so a complex me... software environment, you know, think about ERP, what I do a lot of, which I do a lot of placements in. ERP is about understanding the client need. Okay, let's think about this in a different way. Okay. So I'm, I, I, I was talking to a guy yesterday. He gets involved in these deals. And one of the conversations he was telling me was about was um, the procurement of fighter jets cool. on behalf of a government. So we're talking about a procurement. So it's a $20 billion enterprise sale. Yep. So it's, I don't know who makes fighter jets. Boeing? I don't Boeing, know. Uh, Tales? Whoever. Right. So I'm about to try and win a $20 billion contract on behalf of my employers. Are you telling me I'm not going to think about what my angle is against the competition? Possibly, but I think you'd be better off thinking about what your angle is to help your client. So let's look at it differently uh, then. So I agree with you. Come so, on. So, are so you telling me that I'm not account? sat in a war room with my colleagues thinking, right, strengths, weaknesses, opportunity, threats, at the most simple Well, level. if you work for Airbus, currently you're panning the 737 at Boeing, aren't you? Yes, correct. So that's what you're doing. And I'm sat there... And I'm selling in a way that is antithetic to the weakness of my opposition. All right. Well, let's of course look at, I am. Let's look at it a different way then, Jonathan. Let's say so I agree with that. Let's say um, you've got one of two choices. You can either focus on your competition or you can focus on your client. We've only got a limited amount of time. Well, if, of course I'm if, focusing on my client. Because if we're selling fighter jets to whoever buys them, I don't know, England. We're selling fighter jets to England. It's going to be a big old sale, that isn't it? You've got a very limited massive, amount of complex time. sale, but and therefore I have to think. Is it a massive complex sale? Of course it is. Is. is it? It's a massive complex sale. Just big numbers. Just because they're expensive things. Yeah, but it's a big complex sale with multiple stakeholders. 
So I think, but my point is, I think quite often it's too complicated to worry too much about your competition. Let's say you were trying to sell. Let's no, say you worked for. Se- let's say your you, job is say, to cover every single consumer. Let's say you angle. worked for Siemens and you were trying to sell a smart or, or whoever's selling to HS2. Siemens are bound to be trying to sell to HS2, aren't they? course they are you, Siemens you, Bombardier you'd have thought so wouldn't you you'd have thought so Hitachi all that whoever way. yeah so are you are you worrying about what Hitachi are doing of course what? you are you reckon more so Definitely. than worried about what's happening in Brexit and Somewhere, the effect of that you, on the you're thinking European about all, if, if fact, you're any good if you've got half a brain you're thinking about every angle yeah, you're thinking but, about, but you're thinking about are we meeting the needs of the client but life isn't that perfect are we positioning that in a way that's that you don't have that but you have how have you got that much time because you're spending all that time. I know what your funnel's going to look like. It's going to look like, what have you got in your funnel, Johnny? Well, I've got one thing. But I've spent a lot of time on it. Yeah, but if you're what working on a 20 billion... Cli- what, what happens if your client loses uh, But if you're working count? on a well, $20 billion fighter jet deal, it's probably the only deal you're working on for the next two, three years. Because it's the only one you've had a chance to find. I bet there's five of those deals out there. Probably. And it's your job to there's cover tr- every conceivable So my conceivable point is there's a bit of triage angle. management and in triage management. You're you saying, can't get too wrapped if you're up a, in your You're saying if you're a go-giver, you focus on the benefits of your product to your client and how you can help your client. And you worry about, but listen, you know, there's no right, is there? That's why I've just argued about it. Correct. I can see the point. And then I put here, chapter <coughs> 21, this will be Mike's favourite chapter of the book. Which one is it? Be real. Oh, man. So we're now into section four, which, which is, is the law of authenticity. Yeah. I, you're absolutely right. I, I, I wrote more notes on this page than pretty much any other. Because I, I think, I don't have a, any sort of, it's not based on any model this, but I really think the human spirit can, can sense when people are incongruous with themselves. Mm-hmm. I just think you can just sense that. And I think about my friends, you know, some rich ones, some, some you know, not so, not so rich ones, I guess. Not poor, clearly, so I wouldn't hang around with poor people. Um, but my point is that they are all congruent with who they are and we used to employ somebody here who says fake it till you make it I've always thought that is absolute nonsense because you're either in or you're not correct yeah absolutely do you know when it really correct. bothers me and, and he's and Bob is so right about this in the book is sometimes you meet candidates when we do the work we do Mike where they develop salesy affectations oh absolutely i like it when they shake your hand and wink where where it's almost an aff- it, it, it's I know, almost just like loads. A, you can give loads of a examples thin crispy salesy affectation that is designed to tell you or me as recruiters in the world of sales recruitment that they as people are in sales well, you get all kinds of affectations, don't you? They swap T's for D's so that it makes them sound like they work for Google or whatever. Yes, that whole transatlantic thing. Because yes. they want to sound like they they work. Yeah, it's kind of like a transatlantic thing. And Absolutely. It, and they swap T's for D's and they, they develop this trans... It, it's like a drawl. Because, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> hey, yeah, the guys over at uh, Google, uh, that's how they see it. I've just picked it up, been in the States so much. Yeah. All right, how many times have you been? Uh, three times in I the went past to 10 ki- years. I went to kickoff two yeah. years ago. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that, but, I think that the clients don't like that. I think about the very best salespeople I've ever 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 met, and I've got to tell you, top three that I've ever placed, Tim Hood is definitely in that top three. Ooh. Oh, without a doubt, very congruent. I hope, I hope Tim Hood's listening to this, but one of the most congruent men and very ever, un- not incredibly unpretentious. He's just real. He, he just is what he is, isn't he? Yeah, he is who he is. Take, if somebody asked him, I am who I am. Take it or leave it, fella. Yeah, but I think that's a that's you know Bob's got it right. I agree with you. Completely. Yeah, and I, but the question is, and I wrote here, who you got to coach that out of people sometimes, or yes. you've got to help people self-select and exit out of the profession. Yes, and the next chapter as well, I was very fond of. I say this all the time to my kids, which is, are you talking to me? Or are you watching the television? Be present. Are you talking to me or are you looking at your phone? Are you talking to me or are you worried about somebody else's or what, what somebody else is doing? You're talking to me or Lauren you're is not. The, um... <laughs> ah, good. But that's the point, isn't it? Be present. Be yeah. in the room. That is just so valuably important. Yes. But equally, I know that you've said this is the, one of the rudest things I've ever done, Jonathan, where I held a man up against. <laughs> but I just didn't want to talk to him. Well, you weren't being, but you, but do you know what, Mike? You were being present with me. 
I was talking to you, not some idiot that kept you trying to catch my attention. You were being incredibly so present with me. I just put my hand up. I kept looking at so, uh, Can I explain, listeners? I was in a meeting with Mike a while ago, and this guy tried to talk to us whilst we were in this meeting, and Michael just put his hand basically about two inches from the guy's face. But I was talking to you, not him. <laughs> yeah, but you were being really present with me. You didn't want to take your attention away from shit. the conversation you and I were having about business. Correct. So, fair, fair enough. And the next one, 23, undersell. I agree with Bob again. Hmm. I really do. You know, we, I, 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 my main purchasing really is around consumer goods. I am a fan of being undersold to. Because it just wants you asking a bit more questions. You don't feel bombarded about it. Well, I, I think if you said to me, what's, as a duo particularly, the two of us doing recruitment often... I think a lot of the clients that we work with, I know a lot of them would say, you never get Johnny or Mike on the phone saying, this guy's the best candidate on earth. Well, that's a different thing. That's just being honest. Yeah. And no offence to any of our candidates, but I could never say that well, about Well, no, none of the candidates are perfect. None of the clients are either. No. There's just no such thing. And to be fair, I'm the same with my candidates. Yeah, I'll, none I, of the clients are You'll perfect. never hear me say it's the best job on earth. Because it's just not the case. Because they seldom are. Well, there's always and a so problem I, I get, I get that point about undersell, but do you know what? At some point, there's got to be some sizzle and there's got to be some sausages. And I respect that undersell point, but I, I, I would counsel anybody learning their craft that you do have to remember that there is sizzle and there is sausages and people do buy sizzle. Yes, well, I think this is um, uh, also a strike against the fact that very often people could have closed stuff a lot earlier than they try and close it. Yep. Quite often I get interview feedback, which is, yeah, yeah, I tell you what, Mike, he's just talked himself in and out of it five times, then I was out. Yeah. And you get that a lot. And then the next chapter, 24. Listen. Oh, this is a good one. You've got to listen. 99% of what looks like listening in the world is not genuine listening. It's just waiting at a stoplight with the mind's engine running until the light turns green and the car can go again. He's right. 100% he's right absolutely spot on because what happens there and I can see it very often when I'm interviewing people is I'll ask them a question <coughs> about whatever and I know that they are waiting to give me the answer that they think I want and I just think this is I know what you're like as a salesperson now but it was absolutely right I thought it was perfect it's almost the waiting to pounce isn't it well, the problem is, what Bob's saying here, and he's right, is people walk into a scenario, they know what they want to say, and they're going to say it. They ask you a question that leads to one question, that leads to another question, that leads to another question, and then they spit it out anyway. Okay. Because they've uh, not listened to the answers. Yeah. So spot on. It's not a treatise in how to listen. It's the point is, listen. Listen, yeah. Really listen. And I think that is, it, it, it is an incredible way of giving. Just listening to people sometimes. It's very powerful, isn't it? We all mm -hmm. love being listened to. Everybody wants to be understood. Yeah. That's okay. The case. And then objections. Yeah, I mean, he's done what he could do in this chapter, really. That's obviously a book in itself. But again, you, you, you know, he's, he's done five pages on it. And what he said is absolutely fair enough, I thought. Turning the direction of the skid. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to go into it. Well, too no, much the depth. biggest one actually for me is the truth about objections is most of the time they aren't really objections. Bang right. And then I added they are always requests for information. More often than not. Yeah, of course they are, yeah. And then we're on to chapter 26 called The Close. Yeah, I didn't take any notes. Um, because? Uh, I don't know. I read it. Um, I uh, underlined a few bits, but not much of them. Here we are. So he says here, if you can't do it, I'll definitely understand. Yeah, I, I circled that. There's a palpable pause on the other end of the line. This time when he speaks, his tone has changed. I don't know who begins. I'll see what I can do. What happened? Instead of bullying him into a corner where the only way he could save, save face would be to exercise his authority and turn down your request, you save face for him instead of trying to close him if you open the process. And I just think, yeah, all right. Well, it's a funny one, though, because something I've taken to doing recently that is really freaky, Mike, is I'll leave voicemails for people and I'll say, hi, it's Johnny from Inwood Revenue. Uh, it's not urgent. But if oh, you, yeah, give, you get your call, call returned instantly. But if you can give us a call when you've got a minute, uh, that'd be great. And it, I, I'm confident that I always end up at the top of people's call list. Possibly. It's the other way around for me. You know when people send me an email that's that's marked high priority? Yeah. Answer it last. 
I just think, yeah, bugger off. I decide whether it's high priority, not you. Yeah. So I, I kind of get where Bob's at with that. That whole, listen, if you can't do it, I get it. I understand. It's almost, an, it's almost like a reverse close. Now, well, he would say, it's not a technique. It's not a technique. It's not a technique. <coughs> but actually, it is a technique. It's, I, it's Jordan Belford's you, pendulum, actually. Yes, it is, which I know you're very fond of. I think it's brilliant. And, I, and I've got to be honest, it was an inadvertent discovery, the not urgent voicemail thing. But I but have started using you say, it. It depends whether you say it genuinely. If yeah. you're genuinely saying when well, it's not urgent. Well, I am genuine with it. That's fair enough, yeah. So, you know, I left a message for a client the other day and, then, and my message was, it isn't urgent. We, we don't have to speak right now. But the guy returned the call straight away. If I'd said, hi, can you give me a call? It's Johnny Graham and we're driving you. I'd be still chasing it. Possibly, yeah. Possibly. Um, but I was honest. It wasn't urgent. Okay. Okay. So I kind of get his point, really. But am I going to do it? No. I'm hardwired to ask for business. I went to a meeting the other week in London and I asked the client, you can, you, can you sign these terms now? No. Why not? And I actually said, why not? Yeah, yeah, I agree. 27 then, which is the last little bit of this silence. I think silence is a beautiful thing to use. Yeah, it is really good. Very powerful. <coughs> Pete, Pete Ingram was always good at silence, wasn't he? Yes, well, I mean, the Samaritans are very good at silence, aren't they? Yeah. So here we are. So that this is... You've still got a couple of chapters left here, Pricey. No, hang on a minute. Let me finish. So I was going to say is that is section four. Yeah. I think this is the best section. The subsections are be real. Yeah. Be present. Undersell. Listen. Uh, objections aren't really objections. Yeah. There's a close. There's a silence. That is the best segment of the book. Fair enough. Easily for me. Right. That was the bit that moved most quickly for me too, really. Yeah. And then the last section is the law of receptivity. I didn't make any notes on chapter 28 on stay open. Uh, I don't know what I put. I put an interesting chapter. If you cannot accept a compliment gracefully, I'm terrible at accepting compliments. Yeah, you are. I'm bad at accepting compliments and bad at accepting presents. Never buy me a present or a comp give me a compliment. But that, that, that goes against me on, on Bob's book. I think I'm going to talk to Bob about that because I just sort of didn't get it at all. I mean, literally, I didn't get it. Fair enough. And then in chapter 29, he talks about what he calls left field. So I've, I've circled a couple of things. Go on. He said, when we're living a life of generosity, all sorts of value showers down upon us from that unnoticed, unseen place. We find a critical lead or make a crucial connection. A golden opportunity drops unexpectedly into our lap. We have some incalculably valuable thing come to us, not from the people or the places we were perhaps expecting or hoping for, for it to come from, but from out of left field. The greatest gifts will come to you at moments and from places you least expect. Um, so it's quite a spiritual thing, really. The book's quite spiritual, really. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And I get his point, you know, if you make enough karmic bank deposits, it does just flow out of the karmic It's a pot. funny one, though, that, you know, I find, I'm doing a bit of new business at the minute, um, is that hopefully, Touchwood, uh, you know, my new business is great, but what I've done new business-wise won't be what yields it. From nowhere, somebody will give me a brief. Well, it's like The Secret by Rhonda Byrne, isn't it? You're just, putting good, good, yeah, you're just putting good energy out there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You're just putting good energy out into the universe, aren't you? Doing things, and that's the point in many respects about go, being a go-giver, is that you're putting that good energy out there and it just finds its way back around. Mm. That was my point about the construction guy in the lift this morning. Yes, I agree with that completely. About that whole reciprocity of energy. I don't see, I, see, I've got a, a theory on that. I don't think it's that, actually. So, you know, you, you do a bit of charity. I do a bit of charity. <coughs> Excuse me. Currently, I'm talking to old people in their homes. And what I think happens is, I think the human subconscious can read other people's subconscious. Of course it can. We don't know it. And, some, and I think sometimes people sit opposite you or talk to you and think, this person's just quite a good person in general. And then they engage with you more. Whereas the human subconscious can pick out what a bad person is or a bitter person and probably doesn't engage with them as much. Yeah, they sense a good egg or a bad egg. Mm, I think that's what happens, really. If you're a rotten egg, you're a rotten egg. Yeah, you are just in general, aren't they? You're yeah. just a nasty sort of bad person. Yeah, but equally then again, you get these guys who are fraudsters and they fool people over a period of time for millions and millions. Don't yeah, they? but what happens to them all, Johnny? We all know that they're fraudsters in the end. And they end up inside. That, you know, that, that's they get the reality. Caught. They get caught and they end up in the big house. 
all the time it always happens or they lose their reputation you look at philip green he just got mullered hasn't he over the whole pension thing yeah yeah you know he spent it on his boat and then he talks about crisis yeah i mean the last two, the last two sections are just i didn't take any notes them, actually yeah okay crisis and trust he talks about okay um, i didn't quite get much out of that one no, I didn't. So let's just move on to the summary of the book then. Because I actually didn't write anything in those two chapters. Me neither. So, question for you, Johnny. I, 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 I'll do the questioning for you here. All right. One, should they buy the book, the people that are listening? I would say definitely yes. It's a way of thinking about your sales career that is very useful. Is it going to make you a worse salesperson? No. Is it going to make you a better one? Possibly. Definitely. I think it will definitely make you a happier salesperson. It definitely make you better. Can you build a, uh, could you manage a sales team using this book? No. You couldn't at all, could you? That's the fundamental problem. Could you it. manage an enterprise sales team in the modern software sector with that as your predominant Right, Friday. It's, compass. Yeah, Friday, it's uh, commit calls. How's everybody getting on? <laughs> Has anybody been nice it's to anybody? It's quarter end. It's four o'clock. Where are you at with that deal? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it's all right, because I've, 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 I've sent him a recipe for our mum's parking cake, because I know he's into baking. But we'll send in the guy a recipe for our mum's parking cake, help you close the deal. Probably, actually. It'll probably well, make you... Because the so thing actually, is, you will end up as a better person. The thing is, book. if you're managing people, what a lot of the... You know, Keith Rosen would say... If at quarter end at four o'clock you're worrying about those deals, you weren't coaching your people on the first day of the quarter. He would. He would. So, and he would say, tough luck, bad luck, hard chips. If you're worrying at four o'clock, running around like a dickhead, at four o'clock on the last day of the quarter trying to close deals, actually, it's because your team weren't out go-giving on the first day of the quarter. They were too busy nursing Correct. hangovers when actually they should have been out there networking, go-giving, thinking of ways to add value to the market so that come quarter end they had enough in the pipeline to not worry about what did and didn't drop. I tell you what this book So therefore I'm not going to sit here and say you can't manage a sales team with it because <coughs> actually you can but the context has to be it's the book you give to your team on the first day of the year not the last day of the year. I tell you what summarises this book actually is Bob gives a metaphor where he says can you push a rope? No. Nope. He says no but you can pull one. <clears throat> And actually, the metaphor is about this book is if you do loads of nice, if you do loads of good stuff nice all the time and act with people's best intent, you will sell stuff. And I think you and will. And he is right. Bang right. Absolutely, no doubt. Whilst and, and, it, and it is he, you know, will you become known for a guy who's a straight shooter, an honourable guy, a guy with tremendous integrity? Definitely. Will people refer you? Bloody damn right. Definitely. Damn Definitely. right. You'll so get therefore, referrals. should you buy the book? Yes, you should. You know, how do I rank it against the others? Well, it's very, very, very different. It literally, if it's there was extremely a, different. If there was a spectrum and on one end you've got the wolf and on the other end you've got this fella, they are at opposite ends of the spectrum. But each has validity. But I'll tell you one thing that takes it to my second favourite book that we've read. Oh, Which I know is going to surprise you. Is he's got his opinion and he sticks to it. And you just know that Bob sells stuff. Yes. That's he's his He's got his opinion style. and he sticks to it. And actually, religion is the biggest seller in the world. That's the biggest and hardest thing to sell. And it, it, I don't know if it's religious. And or not, I but know it had next week. I know next week when we do the show and we and Bob joins us as a guest. I know we're going to meet an incredibly lovely man. Do you know what he's going to do when we're finished? He's going to give us some network referrals for his pals, and we're going to speak to them. Yeah. Etc. 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 Yeah. And actually, what have we done? And I'm probably going to well, walk pitching, out. I'm pitching his book. People are going to buy it because of it. Yeah. And and do you know what? Go out and buy it, everyone. It's all right. And oh, it's gonna listen, and, and you'd, and read it's very, airport, you'd read it in an airport lounge when your kids are going on a fl Yeah, or on a flight to a meeting somewhere, you could smash it in two, three hours. You could read it when you were tired on your way back from, from a big meeting or something. Yeah. You could listen to it in the car, and you don't actually, need to take notes. It would make you think it'll make you think a lot about it, yeah. The more spiritual element of your salesmanship. It won't make you take action today. You won't be getting out some mega Bob Berg blue sheet. But what might happen is you might speak to an old colleague somewhere. Correct. Who's having a tough time 
where you'll meet a client and you'll think, oh, product's not quite right for him. And you might get in your car after the meeting and just ring your old colleague and say, mate, I've just been seeing a customer. Listen, you want to get out there. That's a deal for you. Mm. And two years and later, you might, you'll and get you a might, And you might do it without any expectation. <clears throat> rather, mm -hmm. And two years later, you might bump into the guy at the show and he'll introduce you to somebody. And if you do it enough, do you know what? It does come around. So I've been a bit sceptical about it. Maybe I'm in a sceptical place, but actually... I can see why you don't like it, because it goes against the hardwired, got to have a formula, got to have a process. And let's get it right, that has been drummed into us all. For me, for, that's been drummed into me for 20 years. Yeah. Have a process. Do your diary need. Have a process. The, all the rest of it. There's nothing the, wrong with that. Open actually, the meeting, probe, find needs, close, handle objections. Because that's how we're taught. But there's nothing wrong with this. Control the meeting. Mm. Yeah. But there's nothing wrong with that. And you could see why a good go-giver would do more. Yes. There'd but be a I slow burner. There'd be a slow burner. They wouldn't sell much, wouldn't sell much, wouldn't sell much. Then there'd be like a rolling stone just gathering pace, I think. And also is one of... I think the, the go-giver salesman is the sort of salesman where you can't quite work out why you got your ass kicked. Uh, yeah, 100%. Where there's the occasional deal where you just... I don't get it. I just don't get it. Why will the guy not even take my call? Yeah. And you know what? The client that, that went with the other guy wouldn't know why they went with him either. But you could it, actually do a loss analysis. You say, why do you go with such and such a go? I don't know, but I'll I, tell I you know. what. I trusted, I just, I trusted I just him. I did. I trusted him. Yeah, yeah. I trusted him and I didn't trust you. Correct. Uh, and, and I bet every now and then everybody loses a deal to a go-giver. Without a doubt, yeah. Where they cannot, for the bloody life of them, work out how they lost. Mm -hmm. So all in all, it is literally my second favourite book, actually. Well... Fair play. I'm really looking forward to seeing Bob on the show next week. Yeah, should be good. Yep, so tune in next week. We'll be doing Q&A with Bob Berg. If anybody wants to ring in, if you want to ask Bob any questions, he's on the show. Give us a call. Drop us a note on LinkedIn. Drop me an email. You're more than welcome to phone in. I think we're recording next week, so let us know. See ya. <laughs>